0: This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals.
1: It's the week of November 25th, 2013, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 108 of Defender Radio. During this week's episode, we're taking a look at the partnerships that make great things possible, involving interviews with Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control, Lush Cosmetics' Tricia Stevens, and Fred Pache, Counselor in Nanaimo, who recently announced a great victory. But before we get started, we wanted to give you an update on the situation in British Columbia involving urban deer.
2: Defender
0: Radio News.
1: The city of Oak Bay recently announced that they will spend $12,500 to cull 25 deer from the area after residents complained of damage to gardens and the concerns over vehicular collisions increased. Dave Shishkoff, Canadian correspondent for Friends of Animals, noted that culling is not a solution. This thinking only institutes a costly and never-ending bloodbath, he wrote in a blog shared with APFA last week. What happens in 2015? Another deer kill at $12,500? And the year after, another $12,500? How many years do we overspend the amount it would take to make happy the few who complain? APFA, in partnership with Friends of Animals, the BCSPCA, and Deer Safe Victoria, is looking to be part of the solution. We've teamed up with these organizations to produce a booklet on living peacefully with deer that will be distributed to residents in Oak Bay, providing them an alternative to an unnecessary and ineffective cull. But across Canada, concerns over urban deer are rising. At the Royal Botanical Gardens in Burlington, Ontario, a cull is being considered to protect prized flowers. National parks are routinely looking at ways to manage deer to keep both the natural population and human visitors safe. As a result, Defender Radio will be presenting a special episode in the coming weeks, focusing on humane solutions for living peacefully with deer. We will feature interviews with experts across the country and hope the episode will serve as a resource for all those considering how best to coexist with deer. For now, visit furbearerdefenders.com to keep apprised of these situations and find out how you can help.
0: Defender Radio News
1: Building partnerships isn't always the top of mind for a lot of businesses. But for our friend Brad Gates, teamwork is part of his job. The owner of Gates Wildlife Control, Brad has been humanely removing wildlife from homes for over 20 years. Throughout that time, he has avidly spoken about his methods of humane removal, worked with humane organizations, and been a part of every community in which he works. Brad's joined us to talk a bit more about why that's important to him and his business. You're a successful business owner, Brad, but you routinely speak at public events and provide information to the community at large. Is that just good business practice, or is there more to it than that?
0: I feel it's always good business to share knowledge um, to, to the public and, and to even our competitors, but it is there is much more to it than that. We have pioneered many techniques that ensure the welfare of the animals we deal with, and to inform the public on the options that they might have when seeking out a wildlife removal company and that there is a humane alternative. The, the, the days of trapping and relocating are, are long gone. So, I mean, they are making a bit of a comeback now, but it's not necessary to, to perform wildlife removal in that manner um, using one-way doors. and using techniques that aren't stressful to the animal seems to be more than norm these days. So yeah, I, I think it's always good to educate the public so they can make an informed decision on how they want the animals that are living in their house dealt with.
1: You're frequently referred to by humane societies, SPCAs, and advocacy groups like APFA. How was it you were able to earn the trust of all of these various organizations?
0: When we first started our business back in 1984, I made it clear to the organizations such as SDCH, Maine Societies and Animal Services, that we were in business and that our goal was to find ways to deal with nuisance wildlife situations humanely. And at that time, we hadn't figured it out, but I wanted them to know that we were on that path. So we held a an open house at our place of business and invited all the humane organizations to come so we could present to them on how we intended to operate during that meeting many of the organizations came forward and were shocked that a wildlife removal company would invite organizations such as SPCAs and animal services and the reason behind that is because the relationships that they had with these type of companies before we came on board was not good. Um, so they didn't expect that a company would be transparent as, as we were trying to be. So I think that was the first step in in getting their, um, I guess, getting them to somewhat believe in us, although, you know, you have to prove your track record uh, to really to, to gain their support. And then over the years, we would present um, to them at the organization, um, teaching their staff on how nuisance wildlife control could be uh, performed without relocating or without harming the animals. So it's been 30 years in the making, um, but yes, I think we have a, a pretty good relationship with all the humane organizations. Um, and uh, it's a good feeling from where I sit, simply because we can rely on them to share a common message, and uh, we certainly support their organizations as well.
1: You're not afraid to speak out against your peers, but you're also quick to support and endorse others. Why is this kind of open and honest communication important to you? If we
0: just look back at where this industry has gone in recent years, um, there's approximately 100 companies servicing the Toronto area. And what our research has shown is 50% of those companies will go out of business in the next two years. So as you can imagine, over 30 years, I've seen a lot of atrocities with respect to poor customer relations, fraudulent activities, and even uh, animals being harmed. So when you're exposed to that and your focus is the complete opposite, you want to share um, that information so that the public can make informed decisions. Um, When dishonest behavior exists in in the marketplace, it's, it's important to educate the public so when their decision, once had, they actually are experiencing a wildlife problem and have to make a decision on who to hire, that they can make an educated decision. Because 100% of consumers out there don't want to be ripped off, and most want to find solutions where wildlife can be dealt humanely in their attic. They just want them out. They don't want any harm come to them, and they want a, a solution that's going to be long-lasting.
1: Part of that communication is also with your clients. You don't walk in, do a job, and leave. You form a partnership with every single client you visit.
0: Um, yes, the the actual removal procedure is, is fairly labor intensive. It requires a lot of follow-ups. So we want the customer to realize that the day one visit and the beginning of the process is certainly um, just exactly as I said. It's the beginning. We then need to closely monitor, um, the situation to make sure that the animals, um, get out of the house to a one-way door and that there is no noise or no babies left behind in the house. So we, the lines of communication open up day one. We invite our customers to call us should they have any problems. Um, we don't want them to, to think that, uh, if they're hearing noise that they should keep it to themselves. We, obviously want to make sure that the problem is solved with the animal in mind and the customer in mind. And then um, moving forward, we want them to feel well enough about our company or good enough about our company that they would recommend this to their friends and family. And to this day, about 50% of our business comes from family or friend or colleague referrals, which is huge when you, you consider... Um, the amount of work we do in a in a calendar year, and we value that immensely. That individuals would feel that confident about a service that they would, uh, without question, um, recommend to uh, to close close family and friends.
1: To find out more about Gates Wildlife Control and Brad's reputation as a community leader, visit him online at gateswildlifecontrol.com. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors.
2: You're listening to Defender Radio. Over 3 million animals are killed each year in Canada for their fur. This holiday season, why not give the gift of hope to Canada's wildlife by calling 604-435-1850 and giving a holiday gift today the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals, works to protect wildlife in Canada. Call 604-435-1850 and please give generously. Give a voice to the animals who can't speak for themselves by calling 604-435-1850.
3: Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give Bears a voice at Bearsmart.com.
2: Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, We're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbours by building compassionate wildlife communities, one community at a time. Please visit us at CoyoteWatchCanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing Keystone species.
3: This is Defender Radio.
1: Victory. It's a sweet word. And thanks to the hard work of residents and city councillors of Nanaimo, trappers will have less victims. Last week, Councillor Fred Petashe put forward a motion to ban virtually all trapping in the community. It passed first, second, and third readings with flying colours. All that's left is approval from the Ministry of Forests, Lands, and Natural Resources. And with ongoing pressure from communities like Nanaimo, and all of you, our wonderful supporters, We expect to be getting a nod in the near future. Joining us now to talk about this important victory is Nanaimo Councillor Fred Patasha. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us, Fred. Can you give us the background on trapping in Nanaimo and what led to this move?
2: Um, It all came kind of all of a sudden, Michael, because, uh, first of all, I think most of us, uh, certainly uh, myself included, were under the false impression that... uh, you know, we knew something had happened with hold traps many years ago and it turns out that that was a federal effort that banned these uh, sawtooth um, kind of traps uh gosh in the early 80s if i'm not mistaken and so here in hanaimo we have um, an absolutely beautiful place which is called linley valley and um which is for the most part uh privately owned and one part is up for development and there's four more large parcels and we don't quite know what's going to be happening there but um, linley valley has become a bit of a flashpoint a bit uh, quite a flashpoint in that a lot of people don't want any development there and um, there's a, an organization called save linley west who wanted to save it from development and a lot of those people live in that area of Nanaimos in the north part, where they um, have had unfettered access over private property, albeit um you know with their dogs and their children and and so on and so forth so when someone found out not all that long ago that um the owner of uh one or two private parcels, large parcels was using um uh, leg hole traps uh, they got you know, quite excited and um, sort of angry, even though the landowner was, uh, you know, according to the law, he was doing everything but a book. But it started a conversation, and um, it didn't take us very long to come to the conclusion that we we had to do something. And um, one of uh, the persons who's been on the forefront of Lindley West is a woman by the name of um, Joanne Jonas, who actually contacted the uh, Association for the Protection of fur Animals to see what she could do. And the next thing I know, um, I have an invitation from her to meet with um, Leslie Fox uh, in Nanaimo. And um, I attended that meeting together with a colleague of mine, uh, Councillor Bestwick. And it didn't take us very long to be educated on uh, the inhumanity and the uh the lack of necessity to do it this way there are humane ways of uh, dealing with beavers um, water flow um, instruments and so leslie was um, very good at explaining in, in a very short time uh what could be done and um, you know the offer of your organization to help educate municipalities but also private owners for that matter really spoke to us and she did it with uh a certain amount of passion that um, hit home pretty quick. So when that meeting was over, um, you know, Bill Bestrick and I decided that uh, that was the way for us to go. And um, we served a a notice of motion the the next opportunity we had at at a council meeting. And uh, as you now know, that resulted into uh, first, second, and second reading last Monday night, which is, just one, sh- you know, kind of one stop short of, of, um, of uh, adoption. And the problem there, as you are aware, is that, um, you know, trapping falls under the Wildlife Act of British Columbia. And, um, and so we were kind of stymied for a while, but, um, you know, we know that there are at least two, maybe more um, bylaws on the books. One is in the township of Gibsons in British Columbia and one in the city of Surrey. Um, where they have gone as far as we have now gone uh, on on Monday, uh, still subject to approval by the uh, the Ministry of uh, Forest Lands and and Natural Resources. And that's where the the fly is still in the ointment, um, because, of course, we are strictly interested here in Nanaimo. I can only speak for my municipality, but we're strictly interested... In getting a bylaw on the books that um, cannot be challenged either by the ministry in Victoria or by the Trappers Association of BC, for that matter, it needs to be something that is solid. But you know what we have achieved uh, on Monday is something really important, I think, which is that um, we are sending yet another message and an important one to the government in Victoria um, to get them to act on. Uh, a couple of resolutions that have flowed from UBCM conventions, that is, the uh, Union of BC Municipalities. They have annual conventions, and um, a motion requesting them to deal with this was passed again this last summer. Um, There was one passed in 2012, and I believe the city of Vernon, if I'm not mistaken, uh, tried to do something earlier than that. And so... um, that pressure has to be kept up, and uh, as I said on Monday night at council, um, because one of my colleagues referred to this as a uh, a symbolic act that really didn't amount to anything, um, it does it's much more than symbolism it is um, you know part of a, a really concerted effort uh, where we need to get our provincial government to act, and uh, they need to be made aware that in my municipality, we look upon the use of leg leghold, coney bear, and, and snares as a tremendously inhumane way of, uh, of dealing with these animals. And, you know, there are all these other dangers to, to different species and to children, and that, um, for that matter, that we want something done. So we've sent that message, and uh, let's just hope that um, we get some more municipalities on board doing the same and, uh, and, and get some action that we, you know, we sadly still need in this day and age, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, for now we've done our job and we'll certainly keep pushing it as much uh, as we can and every opportunity we can.
1: What kind of reaction did you get from putting forward this motion?
2: Well, uh, first of all, the the, the notice of motion that Councillor Bestwick and myself gave, um, you know, it's about five weeks ago now. Little or no reaction other than from those in the know uh, of Lindley Valley of save Lindley Valley who um, knew it was going to happen and i had uh, I have some emails being very grateful for the effort um, I haven't seen the press yet today um, it's maybe a little too early to um, have a reactions you know today's uh, only a few days after monday um, for all intents and purpose um, surprisingly quiet actually
1: in my experience no complaints to council typically means that the majority of residents support a motion
2: yeah i i would agree with you on that um but but even if um, there had been a lot of anti noise at this point or anti reaction i should uh, call it um you know i can tell you would not have changed my mind and i don't think it would have changed my uh, the minds of my colleagues on council including the mayor um, it did not take us uh, a lot of effort to convince them that this was the decent thing to do, and you know, if uh, there had been a lot of anti-feeling, uh, that's one of the difficult things you have to do as a counselor. Sometimes you have to take, uh, you know, make decisions that are not always popular. But luckily, we did not have to deal with this, at least not uh, up until this point.
1: How important was the role of APA in assisting to get this motion put through?
2: know to get that information and that assistance from the very beginning from APFA was uh, of extreme importance I think I think Leslie Fox was surprised in a sense that we uh, went this fast and uh, (laughs) hey um, maybe I surprised myself a little bit too because quite often it takes an awful uh, lot of time to to do things in a municipality I uh, I'm always reminded of uh, a former city manager who, in the beginning of my first term, now some five years ago, told me that uh, you know you have to compare municipal politics to a, a super tanker. It, uh, it takes a long time to make it to stop. It takes a long time to ch- make it change course, and it even takes longer to turn around. And uh, he, he was correct. Uh, in, in many aspects. Uh, but what we were able to do with uh, the trap business had nothing to do with the tanker. I can tell you.
1: There are a lot of other communities in debate who are considering putting forward a ban on trapping in British Columbia and all of our other provinces and territories. What advice would you offer them?
2: Well, I, I think um, you, you need to look into your own heart and uh first of all be convinced that what is happening is um, is not a humane way of dealing with the situation um i i think then you have to be open enough to avail yourself of uh, any advice that you uh, that you might get and and you know we certainly would get that from the association for the protection of fur bearing animals uh, to take advantage of the offers that um, that you know that, that are being made with regards to education and, uh, and dealing with these water flow devices that, um, you know, that are also a possibility. And then um, be aware that, you know, if you're bold enough to do that, at least in our case, uh, uh, the lack of reaction so far has been, has been satisfying, and that basically means that it's not all that difficult to do.
1: APFA would again like to offer our sincerest congratulations to the City of Nanaimo for their brave step in putting an end to the inhumane treatment of wildlife in their community. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors.
2: You're listening to Defender
1: Radio.
0: First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring, Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416 750 9453.
1: After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride. Find out more at arrivealive.org.
3: Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg-hold conibear and other body-gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? we will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at furbearerdefenders.com to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends.
2: Hi, my name is Beth Naked and you're listening to Defender Radio.
1: Our friends in British Columbia have been enjoying sunshine and cool breezes this last week. Here at Defender Radio headquarters in Ontario, however, we've been looking at squalls off the lake and our first snowstorms. It brings a smile to my lips when my colleagues call and tell me they're opening the window to let in the fresh air. Then, I hang up on them.
0: Defender Radio News
1: But with the coming of snow in Ontario, and most of the rest of Canada... Wildlife will be seeking refuge from the elements. There's a great number of places they'll be looking to get into for warmth. Homes, sheds, and decks. Brad Gates will be joining us in coming weeks to tell us more about these potential winter homes. However, it's vital that all of our listeners know that to avoid the elements, domestic cats, squirrels, and even raccoons will do just about anything to stay warm. And that includes crawling up into a car engine. It's common practice for those in the wildlife industry to knock on the hood of their car before getting in. This simple action will often cause a stirring of any animal that may be inside, trying to stay warm. This simple step can help ensure that any animal seeking refuge can be safely removed prior to starting your car. It's a little thing that can mean a whole lot to an animal this time of year.
0: Defender Radio News
1: Being a good corporate citizen is often simply a company giving money or encouraging their employees to give money to local charities. Sometimes they'll host small fundraisers, and it's always wonderful when they do. At Lush Cosmetics, however, being good citizens isn't something they do from time to time. It's the core of their business. With their popular cruelty-free product lines, Lush gives tremendously both in financial, practical, and moral support to nonprofits across North America, including APFA. Joining us is Tricia Stevens of Lush Cosmetics Charitable Givings Team to tell us a bit more. Tricia, what's the basic history behind Lush Cosmetics?
3: The story behind Lush Cosmetics is we've been against animal testing for over 30 years. And we want to continue to inform, um, encourage, and participate in the fight for animal rights. Uh, We're proud to say that the founders of Lush have been passionately fighting against animal rights during all this time, long before Lush was even an idea, really. Uh, And since the movement to stop animal testing started, policies have been created to work with cosmetic companies and raw material suppliers to ultimately end animal cruelty. Uh, At Lush, we believe in buying ingredients only from companies that do not commission tests on animals and in testing our own products on humans. Uh, Not only is Lush passionate about the animal testing policy, our passion also extends to our commitment we have in sourcing our ingredients from suppliers that are congruent with our ethics and standards. Our extreme um, strict policy against animal testing is unique, and we want our peers in the cosmetic industry to adopt a similar stance.
1: Can you tell me a bit about the Charity Pot product?
3: Well, the Lush Charity Pot program began in North America in October of 2007 to raise money for worthy organizations and projects that involve environmental, animal, and humanitarian issues. And we use cosme- our cosmetic talents to create a gorgeous hand-and-body lotion that's scented with geranium, ylang-ylang, and made from fair-trade organic cocoa butter and skin-softening almond oil. And so with every purchase of Charity Pot, we donate 100% of the price minus the taxes to small grassroots organizations who could use a helping hand to continue the incredible work that they do. And to quote our founder, Mark Constantine, uh, a truly charitable act is when we will give our time, we will give our raw materials, and we will give our shop space if you buy it. And buy it is essentially what people have been doing since launching the program. In October 2007, we have raised and donated close to $4.5 million to over 450 projects worldwide.
1: That is an incredible amount of money.
3: Yeah, well, those statistics also quote on um, the American side of the business as well. So both Canada and the United States collectively—that's the amount of money that we've been able to um, raise and donate. Yeah, we really are super like overwhelmed by that as well. And it, and obviously that shows the faith that our customers have in the organizations that we partner with, and it really does align with with their values as well as ours.
1: Why does Lush put so much of their time and efforts into supporting nonprofits?
3: Well, we're a company that cares deeply about people, animals, and the planet, and supporting not-for-profit organizations is really just an extension of our core values. You know, Lush at its core is a campaigning company, so we've set up a funding application process to support small grassroots organizations that mirror these values in taking a stand where others may not. We support all types of organizations, from registered charities to not-profit campaigning groups and even social enterprises, and we believe it's the difference that organizations Make in the world that counts. Ultimately, we like to take care of the people who are looking out for others.
1: What is it about APHA that appeals to Lush?
3: Our partnership with the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals began back in 2010. Uh, They are an organization that is really out to create a fairer world for animals. They are grassroots direct action, and they really address the root cause of issues surrounding animal rights in Canada. From working in Canada to abolish the commercial fur trade, to banning of the import and sale of domestic dog and cat fur, to creating opportunities for peaceful coexistence
1: with urban wildlife. Should non-profits be looking to corporations to help promote their causes and spread the word? It is
3: extremely important, and I don't know how much of it is about... Uh, not-for-profits being able to partner up with corporations, but corporations being more aware of what issues matter to their staff and their customers and community, and create a platform to give back. And often these platforms don't have to be of monetary value, they can simply be getting people out and active in communities, raising awareness around issues, and providing sort of opportunities for employees as well to give back. Um, Generally, corporations have quite a large audience, whether it be through retail outlets or whether it be through online or newsletters, so their ability to reach a lot of people that might not otherwise know about the issue is tremendous. So I feel that corporations will play a major role in partnering with not-for-profits to move um, specific issues forward that are important in their
1: communities. APFA is a proud beneficiary of Lush Cosmetics, and we recommend you visit one of their stores or go to lush.ca to learn more both about this company and their cruelty-free product lines. That's the show for this week. I'd like to thank all of our guests and our title sponsor Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this program. To find out more about any of this week's guests or how you can get involved in protecting Canada's wildlife, visit furbearerdefenders.com. On behalf of APFA and Defender Radio, this is Michael Howey reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.